In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Darcy. I'm Kyle. Welcome to Quality Matters, where we believe quality impacts us everywhere from the oil fields to our education system. You, you need the edge of quality in your organization. Kyle's giving me signals over here. Are you slow telling down. me to slow down or slow down. to be quiet? Uh, listen as we discuss Quality Matters. Today we have a special episode for you. We have a guest. We have Mo Aziz here. Welcome, Mo. Hello. Um, he's an attorney with the firm, this is a big long name, Abraham Watkins Nichols Sorrells Augusto. Augusto. Augusto and Aziz. All right. So I came across Mo because, as many of you probably know, here in Houston, we recently had a pretty major plant fire in Deer Park at the Intercontinental Terminals Company. And it went on for three or four days, I think. And we, Kyle and I had talked about had, discussing this on our podcast on one of our episodes and I was reading a bunch of articles and I came across a quote from Mo and uh, it said something to the effect of these things don't happen from one misstep it's multiple missteps and that's something that Kyle totally agrees with Absolutely. he believes in putting the policies in place and keeping them going following them not just Absolutely. putting them in a the place to say we got them check um, so I asked your staff to send over a bio so our listeners can know a little bit about you can I read some of this sure it's, it's pretty amazing it um, it's impressive in 2018, he was named on the top 100 super lawyers list for the third year, on the Texas super lawyers list for the sixth year, and was honored by the South Asian Bar Association of Houston with this Distinguished Member Award. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, and some of the cases he served on that are related to the Deer Park Fire. Um, he was on the Plaintiff's Executive Steering Committee for the West Fertilizer Plant Explosion from 2014 to 2017, so That's that lasted correct. three yes, years. Um, uh, he's currently involved in, Arkema, Ar I say it wrong every time, Ar Arkema. Arkema litigation, representing first responders who weren't told about hazards from chemicals in a fire that broke out after Hurricane Harvey. And you're also currently representing plaintiffs injured on May 19, 2018 at the Curate, Cur I'm going to say it wrong again. <laughs> I think it's Curare. Curare uh, eval plant. Uh, you're well, not you, the plaintiffs, I guess, are accusing the company of gross negligence, failure to read safety policies, and neglecting to create safety guidelines. Okay, so that's right up Kyle's alley. I'm going to kind of let you guys discuss <laughs> this. I, I feel like my hands are washed and I'm out of this. <laughs> hey, that's good. Sounds good. Um, but that's, like I said, that's Kyle's uh, big philosophy. He helps companies put these policies in place, but then they kind of just put them in place and put them off to the side and don't necessarily follow them. Yeah. So I talk a lot in the consulting work I do with folks about some of these preventative measures, these really honestly, oftentimes very basic practices that they have to put into place. And, um, you know, I've kind of got my own theories about how the, the management philosophy and, you know, the philosophy around following up on conformities. Um, we saw something very interesting yesterday about, um, with the TCEQ that they only, um, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah, I have it. Of course, you're going to... The top 2% of the emissions uh, that they actually fine on. 
So it means 98% of the nonconformities go you know, almost without uh, consequence. So it sounds like this is a lot of where you deal with. And so, you know, we're all about uh, putting processes into place to ensure that your team can, uh, can work effectively, provide not only for the internal interested parties, but the external interested parties. And I, I just kind of love to hear a little bit of your experience and your thoughts on this to start with. Sure, Carl. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, you know, having done these cases for a number of years, I think the consistent theme that I've seen um, whenever there's a fire explosion, any type of uh, disaster, is that either there's inadequate policies in place or inadequate technology in place, mm -hmm. um, or it's in place, but it's not being followed. Right. Okay. So I'll give you an example, um, you know, the incident that we had in May of last year at the eval facility in Pasadena, the series of missteps, you know, the first, the biggest one, actually all of them are, are pretty huge mistakes, but they were consultants like yourself who had given them, them recommendations. Right. Um, that were not followed. And had they been followed um, as to systems and processes um, and technology, mm -hmm. that had they been followed, we would not have had a, uh, the incident, okay? Uh, also, just a basic policy as, as not having non-essential personnel on site during a startup. You know, as you know, startup operations are one of the most dangerous times at a, at a plant, right? Absolutely. I mean, if something's okay, gonna- Okay, so I'm gonna pause. Because my job here on the podcast is to make sure everybody understands what y'all are talking about. Sure. So whenever I don't understand, I have to ask questions. So what is the startup at a facility? <laughs> sure, sure. No, good, good, good question. So, you know, every four or five years, these, these refineries and these plants, chemical plants were built, say, in 1970, mm -hmm. right? The original plant was manufactured. Uh, every five years, typically, uh, depending on the age of the plant, what the management decides is, hey, we are going to do a complete overhaul of the maintenance, mm -hmm. um, change out, you know, gaskets, um, flanges, whatever that needs to be done, okay. and bring in new equipment also, and install it, which could not be installed when the plant is running, right? So are these the turnarounds? So is that what we call turnarounds? Is that what I yes, hear? Turnarounds. Okay. Absolutely. So when they start the plant back up after that's the called turnaround. a startup. Okay. Right? So you have a turnaround, and after that you're starting the uh, you're reintroducing chemicals into the plant. Uh, in in case of the Carrera plant, it was ethylene. So you're restarting up the plant, mm -hmm. and so that's the highest risk time. Okay. Uh, because once the plant is running, fellas, you know, once it's running, things kind of go. For the most part, you know, they follow a pattern. Mm -hmm. With the startup, you've got elevated risk for um, incidents. And that's just documented in the industry. Yeah. I mean, anybody okay. who's familiar Absolutely. with the industry has to agree mm -hmm. that the startup is an elevated risk time. And traditionally, if there is elevated risk, a non-essential personnel, what we call typically our contractors mm -hmm. uh, or operators, uh, who are not needed to be essentially there um, to uh, to be involved in the in the turnaround or the startup are told to not come to the work that day, right? right? Okay. So you just say, hey, we're going to start up the plant. Trying to minimize oh, risk. Yeah. Minimize risk, right. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can have a fire, you can have an explosion, but if nobody's there in in the path of it, mm -hmm. well, at least you won't have loss of life or or 
injury to humans, right. you might have some property damage, right? Right. right? So that that's a very basic feature, safety feature. Don't you agree, Kyle? Absolutely. Right. So you're having a startup keep non-essential people off. Mm-hmm. That wasn't followed in, in this particular situation. Okay. Um, and then also, you know, it's techno- there's a lot of technology these days as to alarm systems, as, as to, uh, you know, pressure monitors, mm-hmm. temperature monitors uh, within reactors that uh, alerts uh, operators um, as to, hey, there's an abnormal condition, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so another thing that we uh, have discovered uh, in, in, in that particular instance is operator error. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and them not recognizing the existence of certain abnormal conditions not recognizing that these alarms are going off and, you know, something must be uh, off. So maybe some lack of training in place for these, these right. things. Again, very basic systems that are in place. Correct. Is right. that your finding, that it's the lack of training that the upper, or are the, they just ignoring what they've been taught? I, I think it's, it, it's a combination, but it has to be lack of training because if you have a high-pressure alarm going off, mm-hmm. that should put an operator on alert, right? And right. the training should kick in mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. If there's a high, high pressure alarm, which is, you know, uh, like yes. a, a, the second yes. degree or second level of alarm, mm-hmm. you should just sound the general alarm, get people out of there, shut down, you know, open right. up the flare, um, open up the flare and, and dump the reactor, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, a lot of that was not followed, mm-hmm. okay? Okay. Uh, and the there are technologies in place that kind of take the human element out of it mm-hmm. that as far as recognizing abnormal conditions mm-hmm. and so and those have been those are not new technologies they've been out there for you know decades right um you know so um so anyway that's kind of part of what we we found in that situation right as to what happened you know at itc obviously time will tell uh, right. in detail what happened well and luckily from what i understand there's been no injuries in regards to the fire i know that afterwards there's been a lot of chemicals in the air lots of school districts have shut down and i guess like you said time will tell if anything comes of that i don't know why is it that these companies chose to neglect the safety features very easy answer cost i mean it's all that's, that's what, what comes, i would assume that's what it comes down to right yeah. so you've got um uh, a safety feature which is going to cost you know time and uh, to install and it's going to cost some money and it, always that's where it comes down to i mean if somebody's got an alarm system which is outdated it's going to cost money to fix that if they've got um you know a, a reactor system that needs updated or needs an updated set of interlock mechanisms. It, it really always comes down to cost. Do you think they do? I'm sure they do like a, a cost analysis to say, okay, if we fix this, it's going to cost us this much versus if it explodes or there's a fire, it's going to cost us this much in, you know, litigation. I mean, do they weigh their costs like that? You know, I wish they would because that would really make it clear to them that if when an incident does happen, mm-hmm. it can cost hundreds of times more mm-hmm. than would, if not, even thousands of times more than yeah. what it would have done to create the fix, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so a safety interlock system that could maybe cost you know half a million dollars, if it can call, if it can avoid a fire and explosion where dozens of people are injured and burned, mm-hmm. that cost benefit analysis is just 
it doesn't even it doesn't even match up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These companies that are really really struggling is they 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 don't do the analysis. You know, there, there's tons of tools out there for risk analysis, and they just simply don't use any of the risk analysis tools available. They just look at the dollar signs for yeah, right now. Let's right. say we can't afford that. Because if they would do it, then they would see, hey, uh, and maybe they do it, and may, then they choose to ignore it, that wishing that it would never happen, or expecting, you know, thinking that, hey, something like this is not going to happen. But if your system is broken, uh, something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a dangerous business. Because you're dealing with volatile chemicals, flammable materials, mm-hmm. uh, you know, materials that if you inhale, people can die. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, materials that if they find an ignition source, are immediately going to combust. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing in that environment, it's just a matter of time. It is. Well, and you were saying earlier that what in Europe, they're not even allowed to have neighborhoods around these plants. Sure. Is that- yeah. So let me tell you about a little bit about the West case, uh, which... Uh, the West fertilizer explosion, extremely unfortunate incident. You know, first responders dead, seriously mm-hmm. injured, um, citizens dead, injured. You know, thousands of homes damaged. Um, but we found, and that case was again kind of focused on the manufacturers of um, ammonium nitrate because mm-hmm. a manufacturer of a product is the one who is in the best choose to know of the dangers of that product right okay uh, and so west fertilizer itself was you know Kyle, i think you said you'd been there yeah i i grew up around there i probably have visited that particular plant at least 10 times growing up right and they had a feed store there they had veterinarians nearby it was kind of like the uh like redneck central right. <laughs> i mean it really was <laughs> sure. and it was like a mom and pop type of, it was uh, uh, facility right so, so were they manufacturing or they were selling they were just selling okay yeah. and they were they had no idea of what the dangers were Mm-mm. of that product okay okay got it and let me give you an example so ted upmore was the gentleman who had run that facility for 30 or 45 years mm-hmm. yeah for most of his life I don't yeah know it had been there forever that. it was a staple of the region right and so when the fire started ted was um nearby at, 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 I think he said he was grilling burgers. <laughs> no, they did. They, they had a burger stand there, right. and it was good. And, and drinking, <laughs> you so know, funny. He was, he was having a beer and drinking. It's not funny. It's no, not it's, what happened. It's yeah. not funny. And that's something what they did every week, right? So anyway, so he, he, he was proceeding towards the plant. He saw the fire. And so he flips out his cell phone and had the phone number of one of the sales reps of the manufacturer programmed in there because mm-hmm. he had such regular contact with mm-hmm. him. So he calls him, it goes to his voicemail. Now there's a fire burning over there. And a police officer had stopped him. He said, hey, okay, Ted, you need to stop. Um, I forget his exact words, but it was something to the effect that, hey, there's a really big fire at the plant. I know this stuff is not explosive. But it's a really big fire, and then the line went dead, and that was the explosion. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. <clears throat> so, uh, I think it was 7.15 or something was the time. What, whatever the exact time was, I forget now. But that was, that was his knowledge mm-hmm. of what he perceived the dangers of ammonium nitrate to be. So, again, training. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right. and you yeah. would think as the owner of a store, you wouldn't necessarily need training, but you need education. You, you do. Need, at the very least. And if you're selling a product that's potentially hazardous i mean you you should 
at least have a process to inform, to communicate sure. to these external interested parties. As we talk about with the quality, quality world, these are external interested parties. And they have every right to know what's going on with the product they're purchasing from you. Right, absolutely. So that's, you know, so they, <clears throat> they use the term stakeholders. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we found in that case was they had the term stakeholders that, hey, what information is being given to the stakeholders, which are not only the West fertilizers of the world, but the communities that they're in. Yeah. Right. And so what we found in the course of discovery is that, you know, CF Industries, for example, one of the largest manufacturers in the world, will not send, sell product to um, a, a West fertilizer of mm-hmm. the world uh-huh. in Europe under those circumstances. And those circumstances being if they're surrounded by uh, homes, if they're mm-hmm. in a residential area. Here mm-hmm. we had West was next to an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Uh, mm-hmm. A nursing home. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. And, and a high school. Yeah. Oh, and, my gosh. No, so, literally, the high school was behind. I mean, you could hear them playing football <laughs> while you're picking up the feed. It's right, right there in and, the middle and, of everything. Yeah. And, I mean, God forbid if this had happened during daytime. Oh, my gosh. With the kids there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this would have been ten times worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So... Our question, my question to them, to, to the CEO of um, what CF in his deposition was, hey, why do you do this differently over here? Mm-hmm. Like, if you won't do it in Europe, good question. why do you do it here? Right. And, and there really is no good response to that. I mean, they, yeah. I, I guess the company's overall response was, well, we're not required to do it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, it comes back to cost, back to cost, you right. know, it's all about the profit. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that before, Kyle, when somebody have. said, hey, well, that's a good idea, but does the law require us to do it? And I, I hate that answer. I absolutely hate that answer. <laughs> I haven't gotten it many times, but the few times I have, it just makes me cringe and sick to my stomach. If what's within the bounds of the law is your only guide to what's right and wrong, I mean, you are literally pushing the line of immorality in every way and doing your best not to legally cross it. I mean, you have to work to care about people. You have, whether it's the folks that you're paying for, whether it's the folks that like this are coming and purchasing your product, um, working within the bounds of law, just, it makes me cringe every time I hear that because it tells you, tells you the mindset of the person. Right, right. And so, you know, and one, one thing that we also learned was, what they did was the basic minimum. Hey, we're going to give them a safety data sheet or MSDS sheet. Right? That's right. what the law requires us to do. So you're selling somebody a highly hazardous product, which you know is being stored in unsafe conditions. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a second about, about their knowledge of storage. And all you have to do is give them a piece of paper that says, hey, this can explode under certain... It has a bunch of scientific stuff on there. Right. Right? See, I was... Right, as you imagine, at oh. Redneck Central... Yes. They're, they're probably not going to read that. It, yeah. <laughs> and even if they do, they don't have a clue what any of it means. I was a safety manager for nearly 10 years. And I don't know what half that stuff means sometimes. I mean, it's better now with the GHS system, and they've got better pictograms. But even then, you have to look at it and say, do they really mean it? Right. And, I mean, you, you really have to I – mean, the average person is not in a position to make those determinations. They're, they're not. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, in fact, there's um, – I mean, there was emails in there where they were talking about, uh, hey, your average farmer type mm-hmm. is, is needs a little better explanation. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, because the, the MSDS is a technical document. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be for a user. No. 
and to warn them of the dangers. So, um, you know, but again, the response was, hey, that's all we're supposed to do is get MSDS. Well, you know, I, I cringe now thinking about as a kid because I used to go with my papa. And I don't remember how many tons, but it was several tons of ammonia nitrate that he would get at a time. And he had this special truck that he could rent that would just haul t- just enormous sums, the size of a dump truck. And then he would drive it out across the pastures and it had a sprayer on the back. And I'm just thinking about, wow, we're just driving around with... So what is ammonia nitrate used for? I don't even sure. know. Sure. That's, that's a really good question. Um, so ammonium nitrate is a chemical that was developed in uh, during World War One mm-hmm. by the Germans to be used as an explosive. Okay. And using it for, <laughs> and, and it's what it does is you know it's got certain qualities that will have uh, basically fertilize the soil and have a better product, better crop. Okay. Your crop production per acre goes up. Okay. Right, uh, because as it decomposes, it just has this side benefit mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and as the animals eat, especially like in pastures, the animals eat the hay. Nitrates are a uh, number one component in the production of ammonia, of uh, amino acids and proteins. So, as you have cattle grazing on the grass, they are eating all of the nitrates, and Correct. so then your pasture is just barren after a while if you don't replenish it. Right, oh, okay, but there's there's numerous other types of fertilizer mm-hmm. which are not explosive not as hazardous <laughs> you know there's um numerous other types of uh, fertilizer that can be used and now is being used uh, you know there's uh, and in fact is is manufactured by the same companies they have really? different lines and so uh, and ammonium nitrate is just one which has been over time it has gotten a bad um rap if you will mm-hmm. and understandably so because same type of material that was used by Timothy McWay oh, to okay. to you know blow up uh, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Murrah Building, yeah. right? And, and and after that, it was the, it was also used in the first World Trade Center attack. Uh, mm-hmm. So then they've been restricting, the government has been restricting access to it. Uh, you know, you can't just nowadays. Carl, maybe what you're talking about, maybe 20 years ago when you... Yeah, it changed after 9-11. Because right. I remember when Papa got mad because he rented the same truck and went to pick up the fertilizer. They wouldn't let him get nearly as much. Right, they wouldn't so they, because they have some regulations, but on that, on the same, on the security part of it. Yeah. But, yeah. but but basically, you know, to, it's it's a outdated fertilizer, which gotcha. Gotcha. over the years has been used and is still used actually overseas... <laughs> By you know to by terrorists to make IEDs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a bad chemical, mm-hmm. yeah. and really shouldn't be stored in the middle of all towns in, right. in Texas. Right. You know, you go yeah. to any small town, you see the feed store, and they're going to have the grain silos, oh and then they'll have you know the <laughs> AN storage facility. Yep. That's so scary. People just don't realize what's around uh-huh. you. And no, not at all. Like all the plants that are around us. But you said, um, what was that? oh, I'm curious. Who was found liable in that? Was it West Texas or, or West... Fertilizer? Yeah, or was it the manufacturer? So that case never went to trial. We, we There was oh, a settlement, okay. out-of-court okay. settlement okay. Uh, with the manufacturers. Okay. Uh, and the case was resolved. Okay. The terms are confidential, but it was a favorable re- resolution. And I think as a result of our get digging up all this information about the dangers of ammonium nitrate, the um, there were some there's some changes made by OSHA as how st- how it can be stored now. I mean, I okay. still don't think they're ideal, but now they require you to um, cover the 
wooden storage with some type of material that would be fire resistant up mm-hmm. to an hour. Right. Okay. So at least there's some, you know, changes. So, have some, change. some positive has come out of that. So how does all of this work before we close up here um, with what little bit of information is out for ITC? Um, what are some of the safeguards that, that were missed? Do we know anything about that yet? Have you heard anything that you're able to talk on? Sure. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, again, like you said, it's early, Carl, but there one question that is in my mind is, hey, you can, you have a fire that starts on your facility. Mm-hmm. Okay, where is your first response team? Because as you know, every refinery has their own in-house mm-hmm. response team. I didn't know that. Okay? And operators volunteer to do it. They say, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to be on the first response team, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a series of trainings you're supposed to get with it. and But yeah. Right. Yeah, that you have to have dedicated folks that are ready to respond. Right, and so you have, and, and some of them, and I don't know again what what their uh, setup was, but they actually have their own fire trucks sometimes, and they have at oh, least wow. maybe one that they'll rush out there and just to nip it in the bud. So mm-hmm. we don't have a situation where, by the time you've got, uh, you know, Laporte or Pasadena, whichever the responding units right. are, mm-hmm. they're so they're they're supposed to try to just mitigate the fire right at the get-go right okay and i I don't think that happened here and i think as time progresses there'll be there'll be what come to light is that there was some confusion as to where the fire is how and and who's responding to it Uh, and uh you know there'll be some evidence that these uh, that the fire response the initial response was not by the plant itself Mm -hmm. was not timely Um, so I think that's one of the things that we're hearing again, you know, it's going to take a a lot of time and effort to figure out how this happened and and what the environmental impacts of this event are going to be on that Mm -hmm. area and the residents. I I know Kyle himself, he has asthma and allergies. And when that, it was after they put it out, no, it was the day they put it out. mm -hmm. You were out of town and as he was driving back in, he could feel his asthma like flaring Apparently the plume descended on 290 as I was driving in from Central Texas and uh, I could smell the smoke and my lungs started closing up and so it's been a... Been a fun so couple I'm of sure days. A lot since of people then. that are a lot closer. I'm sure. I can't yeah. imagine, especially you know, infants and elderly people or people mm-hmm. who have mm-hmm. uh, pre-existing um, respiratory issues. Yeah, I mean they're at. Well, and I know I don't know how this will affect them, but there was an article in the Chronicle about all the different times that ITC in particular has been fined for many different things. Yeah. and that's where we found that that only about two percent of emissions over permitted levels result in a penalty from the state so it's yeah like how many people are getting away from it with so it. i guess before we close up here i don't want to take up too much time i really appreciate you being on here with us if you had any kind of advice for for our listeners or probably oftentimes quality managers supervisors maybe small business owners what's your advice to these folks to avoid these potentially hazardous situations well my advice uh Kyle, would be that you know they need to listen to the professionals uh, the safety professionals and the recommendations that they're making uh, and follow them to the T because that's that's the way to avoid these disasters, right? Is to learn from them, yep. mm-hmm. learn from history and, and then implement change moving forward. Yeah. I like it. And do the cost risk analysis mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah, what's going to happen if we exactly. don't. Exactly. Yeah. You need to know. And I uh, like to say, you know, follow, follow to the T because I've, I've seen this well where folks, they get the recommendations and then they make their expert 
opinion on top of the expert's opinion <laughs> of what really does and does not need to be followed. And, yeah. Um, you know, my, my favorite, and I'm sure you've heard this plenty of times, is we've always done it this way. Yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've, read, <laughs> I've read many emails where they've said, okay, yeah, but we've been doing it this way for 30 years, everything's just fine. Well, then it's not. Until right. it's not. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you. We appreciate Thank you. Your time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is kind of a follow-up to the interview that we did with Mo Aziz. Uh, we had our interview, and then on the way home, Kyle and I were talking, and a couple of questions came up as we were driving home. Actually, I only remember one um, in particular. And Kyle and Mo were talking about how these plants and refineries have their first responder team, mm -hmm. which was something I didn't know. So um, I had heard, I believe it was the county commissioner... I've read several articles about this ITC plant fire, and I think it was the county commissioner that said he was frustrated because he had told ITC officials to get extra people in early. And so my question is, I wonder if it was because they only used their own first responders at the plant and didn't call in 911 soon enough, or if he just meant other 911 first responders from other cities and departments. No, that sounds uh, that sounds very reasonable to me. Um, you know, I guess the thing that that's so shocking with this is they seem so incredibly ill prepared for something like this to occur. But what seems, I mean, that is shocking. But what is more shocking is if you find that article that I mentioned when we did the interview with Mo um, that the Houston Chronicle had about all their fines. Mm -hmm. There's so many fines mm -hmm. in the past mm -hmm. and. I mean, it's not, well, to us, it's not a small fine. To them, it probably is. But we're talking, you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars and repeated multiple incidents. I mean, I can't even remember. I read it to you. We talked about it. I don't remember how many. Oh, and it's, and it's not, it was at least 10 different events. And this is going back, you know, almost a couple of decades, but it's a couple of decades of problem after problem. And. Okay, let's be honest. I, I don't know as much about uh, these facilities as I should, but I do imagine at a certain scale there will be problems, and you are supposed to report everything. I, I feel like this is kind of going to be their tipping point because, as I mentioned, we recorded uh, that interview on Friday. We came home. I was on social media scrolling through, and uh, it's where I get my news these days. <laughs> so I was scrolling through, and I found out that while we were doing the interview, they had a partial dike wall collapse at ITC. Mm -hmm. The so I guess when they, you know, the burn happened, and then some of the chemicals escaped, or I don't know what happened. So somehow some of the chemicals got out. So they had a dike wall that was containing some of those chemicals. It partially collapsed, mm -hmm. leaking chemicals into the ship channel. Part mm -hmm. of the ship channel had to be closed down. And then even after that, I'm not sure when that happened, maybe noon or two. Yeah. Even after that, something else caught on fire Yeah. at ITC. Yeah. And they had to, I think it seems it was a fairly quick situation, but yeah. they had to close down part of the beltway. And so it was going on and on. And right before we came to record this part, I just saw a quick headline of another article about how they, um, several chemicals were re released during hurricane Harvey. Right. And, you know, to be fair, 
somebody commented and said probably most of those refineries had several chemicals released because everybody was flooded. The the thing that if I could take anything from all of this, how many times have you done um, a lot of list folks have probably done the emergency drills at their business, right? I'm sure I know when I was teaching, we had to do fire drills once a month that was required. How much of the time do people actually pay attention on those? And how often do you document the problems? You know, I I came from a not very large facility over in LaPorte. We had a shelter-in-place policy, and we would uh, do a shelter-in-place drill every so often. Um, Then we would do uh, emergency drills. I always had fun with the emergency drills. Because I would, uh, I would pick someone to hide or someone to not cooperate or, um, you know, if someone was absent, I would tell people to have conflicting data about who was absent just to see if I could get folks tripped up. And we would do this in the drills. And we did this in drills for a facility that really had no major hazards that would merit an evacuation. Right. Um, when you have hazards that merit an evacuation... Um, it would seem wise to me to to have pre-planned multiple procedures and to have an enormous amount of training for these folks. Well, that's the thing. I think, and we've talked about this in the interview with Mo, there's lots of planning that takes place. Yeah. And maybe a review here and there, but the, the training that needs to occur does not occur. And there's, you know, we've talked about how passionate you are in particular mm-hmm. about these kinds of things. And it just seems that these guys that are on the job are just on the job, and yeah. they don't have a passion for what they do, which is sad. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And that, that might be a, a talk soon because the, uh, the safety culture in America, uh, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's terrible, and uh, you have to get people passionate about their own safety. Yeah. So that's another chat yeah. for another time. So we wanted to just do this quick follow-up before we close up. I want to talk about a couple of reviews that we've gotten um, on our podcast i guess they come through on itunes kyle handles all that and he looks it up and shows me um one in particular that i really like said something like uh, it's like sitting down with a cup of coffee and my favorite married couple so i really appreciated that because we are a married couple and i'm glad that you guys enjoy listening to us that our friendly banter comes across um i'd also like to mention y'all that we are an Orphan podcast, meaning we are looking for some adoptive parents, otherwise known as a sponsor. If you would like to consider sponsoring our Quality Matters podcast, contact one of us. You can find our numbers on our website at Texas Quality Assurance. You can find either one of us on LinkedIn and we can start a discussion about it. Um, We would also like your feedback. We have some giveaways, our coffee mugs that Kyle is very passionate and excited about, our Coffee Matters uh, coffee mugs. And we've been trying to, we've been tossing around ideas about how to give those away to Mm -hmm. our listeners. So if you have an idea on how we could pick people at random or how we could decide who to give them to, uh, we would appreciate your input. I think that's all. I think that's it. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.